The information in this podcast is current on the day of recording. It is general advice only and does not take your personal situation into account. It may not be suitable for you. Participants in this podcast may also own the stocks discussed. For a full list of current recommendations and stocks owned by staff, members of Intelligent Investor can visit www.intelligentinvestor.com.au. Welcome to the first Stock Take of 2020. My name's Gaurav Sodi. Joining me today is analyst James Greenhouse. Hey, James. Hello, Gaurav. And welcome back to returning analyst James Carlisle. Hey, JC. Back to the full compliment of James's. Isn't there, wasn't there a rule? You <laughs> There's had, a rule. You always had to have two. You always have to have yeah, one, James. So but that's why I had to come back, really. <laughs> we had four. We had four at once, <laughs> I think. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah, when I first joined, I think that's when we had about four. I thought it was a bit <laughs> odd at the time. Um, JC, you've been gone for a while, but um, you're back now, I think. Seven now, months it was in the end. I have I a feeling. squeezed it out to an extra month. Yeah. <laughs> well, you got a big, big, happy, expensive farewell and all of that, but I have a feeling you left just to build your cabana at home, and as soon as that job was finished, you decided to come back to work. Well, I was a bit exhausted. So I went <laughs> off and uh, did a few things, and um, mainly, in the, mainly, yeah, after... Mainly sort of sorting out the cellar and fixing up the garden. And, and after all that's done, why not come back to investing? Yeah, well, you've got to do something. Yeah. You? Well, I've got to say, it's wonderful to have you back. It's the first day in the office that we've been... Um, well, the first time we've, we've, we've both hit. Yes, yeah, that's, that's right. right. Yeah, yeah, been yeah, missing yeah, each other. Yeah, but I'm, I'm thrilled to have you back. I think everyone in the team is thrilled oh, to have thanks, you back. Um, it's, great. it's great to be back. I'm really enjoying... Uh, so, whereas previously I was doing spending a lot of my time doing managing and, and editing and things like that, mm. the, the idea is that these days I'm... I'm very much more focused on doing research and articles. Um, haven't had too many articles so far, but hopefully there'll be more of those to come. But um, got the fun but, bit. But the fun doing bit lots of research, having to manage people, you actually got the fun bit of looking after looking yeah. at stocks. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. And, he looks uh, more relaxed, doesn't he, JJ? He does. Yes. Very yeah. much enjoying that. Yeah. Very good. Well, let's get into a couple of stocks. Um, well, actually, before we do, gents, um, it's been a pretty rocky start to the year. We've had. Um, horrendous bushfires this 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 coronavirus thing markets are hitting all-time highs um it's a very interesting combination you've got an, an impeachment of an american president there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on and markets just seem to be brexit and and, and let's not forget brexit thank you james mm. yes that's, i mean that's a lot of stuff mm. and it's only february <laughs> <laughs> and markets have just shrugged everything off i wonder how we feel about that um JG, sorry, JC, let's begin with you. <laughs> James C, let's begin with you. Um, are you concerned about the external environment? How much attention do you typically pay to it? How much attention do you pay to it now? Um, I am always concerned by the external environment, but not particularly for the stock market. You know, there, there's always things to worry about. That's mm. the thing, I think, to realize. And, and in terms of the broader economy, um, Good quality companies. If you go into a recession, quite quite often they come out better, you know. Um, so that they're, they're, they're not for for a quality business, that's not something to be afraid of. Um, I think the way to look at these things is to try to work out whether the impact is going to be short term or long term. So the virus, for example, to, to just to take that as an example is going to have, uh, there'll, there'll clearly be a short-term impact on a, on a stock like Flight Center um, because of tourism numbers and all that. Um, but but long-term, you know, the viruses come and go. Um, the concern for a stock like Flight Center to me would, would be if you suddenly decided that, that 
viruses were now going to be more likely or something, if we were going to get more viruses in future or something. And that, funnily enough, is how, how it looks like for trees. For my sins, I'm an, for, for the fires. For, for my sins, I'm an investor in um, kangaroo island plantation timbers. Ouch. Um, <laughs> ouch, exactly. And, yeah. uh, but, you know, and for that, you know, a, a one-off bushfire wouldn't be a great concern. But the, the, the worry there is, is that... Maybe this is a, an eye-opener and maybe we're, we're having to come to terms with the fact that we're going to have more fires in future and that pushes up the cost of insurance. That um, does very, you know, it, it, it makes that perhaps, if that's the case, a less good business than it was. I think the, the, the interesting thing about Flight Centre in particular is that is a pandemic has always been a risk for Flight Centre and if you look at how conservatively they manage the cash position of that business, that, that is this is exactly why management does that, does this, because they know that every so often there's going to be a global pandemic where, where travel might completely go, uh, slow to a halt and they need to have the cash to get through that and this is where sort of what sorts the, the poor quality travel businesses from the good ones really is you have mm. Flight Centre which is actually fairly conservatively positioned to be able to deal with this, so it, it, that's sort of what. It, it, while, while I think you know, flight centers always had this risk. You know that flight centers are more likely to get through this than some other less, uh, less, less well capitalized um, travel companies. Yeah, and when you get these shocks, and and some businesses are not well positioned, so that the shock can actually knock them out, um, then that's going to be a concern. But but I suppose the, the the key is to look at look at all this on a on a company level rather mm. than a broad economy sort of level and work out what the impacts will be on a, on specific stocks. I think why I'm probably more concerned um, this time round is that the the share market's valuation this time round is um, it just it makes it, it's almost disconnected from what's happening in the real economy and it's more correlated with what's happening in sort of central bank worlds. Um, and and that worries me. I mean, I would ordin- ordinarily agree with you, James, that you want to, in times of difficulty, quality is is a safe harbour. But what do you do when it's quality that looks overvalued? I mean, Woolies at what thirty five times earnings, Bunnings at what is it, James? Uh, close to forty times earnings. Yeah, I mean, the, the, this is yeah. <laughs> the, these are quality names, and I, I would say a lot of the quality part of the market, both here and overseas, are the almost the dangerous looking ones they're the they're, that's the part of the market that looks um scary to me and and what do you do then? Um, you know that, that's that's why I find it difficult about this particular um, down to, or well, this particular problem. Well, I think that that's a separate question, though, isn't it? I mean, that's that's a, it's, yeah. It's, it, while um, I, I think generally for me, um, the idea of a of a virus or, or whatever it's, it's going to affect economic activity, it's not it's not something I really focus on because I know that in six months it's probably not going to be an issue. Uh, that's been the tradition of them. But um, what for me is the most the biggest thing to focus on is how that then affects companies down the track and so if so if you get an opportunity in a company down the track um, whereas maybe suddenly companies that were perceived as quality aren't because they've had an impact from from bushfires or from um, or from coronavirus or whatever then that, that's when their share price gets hit that's when that's sort of when I, I think the opportunity is coming but while the actual event is on whether it's bushfires or or coronavirus I don't really pay much attention to it yeah I mean the the, the risk for the big the high quality stocks i mean it's really interest rates isn't it that's driving those valuations and mm. and people are you know when you look at your dcf and you have to keep ratcheting down the, mm, the yeah. interest rate you put into that your opportunity cost then um you know that 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 pushes those those valuations up so the question you have to ask is whether whether that's sustainable 
Um, and I, I don't necessarily have an answer for that. But as JG says, it's a, it's a separate question. I think that the existence, you know, fires, viruses, Brexit, impeachments, the, these things, there's always, there's always uh, mm. things going on. Um, well, is it an opportunity then? I mean, both of you have sort of suggested that you tend to look through them. If those things are going on in the background and equity prices are falling, as they have been doing for flight centre and corporate travel and the like, is that, is that a signal... Um, well, that's that's the article we wrote, isn't it? And that uh, that John Addis wrote. And I yes. think that's the thing. You need to look at individual stocks and be ready to, you know, if, if you've already thought it through and you've mm. decided that this isn't going to be a long-term impact for Flight Centre is the exa- example we, <laughs> we, we, we've we latched on. onto. <laughs> um, yeah. But my, my, my biggest issue, going back to Flight Centre again, though, is, is that the issue for this company is not uh, a pandemic. Yeah. The issue for this company is whether the leisure business is struggling. And for me, I think that leisure business is going to be struggling for a while yet. So to, to focus too much on a current event misses the big picture. And so I, I, I'm concerned about if we if we start looking at um, specific opportunities because of you know a one-off event that we then ignore um, the issues. And uh, uh, corporate travel is another company We're interested in it, but still not completely comfortable with management so again we've got to think about those bigger issues before we uh, think oh yeah maybe coronavirus is an opportunity even though the share prices are down yeah you've got to have a you've got to have a view about what you where you think the share price should be uh, on on in any of and taking all of that into account and if the if if, uh, you know um, an external event um, pushes the share price into an attractive position then then you you would be ready to take advantage of it so I must say, in my own portfolio, um, I have jettisoned a couple of stocks because of what's happening in China. Um, so I owned um, Danaco. Mm. And you know, for those who don't know, Danaco is a crappy little casino stock that owns casinos. in With a lot of debt, right? Um, yeah, with, with a so lot of debt. And so it's quite precarious. So it's yep. the sort of business that, sorry, I'm interrupted, but, but, but no, that could right. get knocked out. Absolutely. Yeah. No, yeah. you've just taken my thunder. <laughs> That's exactly right, James. Yeah. So, so um, they own casinos in Vietnam and in Thailand. And those casinos are entirely um, customed by Chinese um, visitors coming from over the border and um, and frequenting those casinos and with, with all the travel bans, um, this is exactly what I'm concerned about. That those customers aren't going to come, um, and there's a whole lot of debt on that balance sheet. There's a whole lot of dodginess going inside this business. Um, I mean, we bought it very very cheap. I made good money on it already, and I just figured I don't need to take this risk, and I've sold. And I feel as though I feel dirty about it because I feel as though I've sold into a panic, but at the same time. It's a, it's a sort of scenario where I'm happy to bank profits um, for, yeah, but and, and not take the downside. Yeah, stocks which, um, you know, stocks can be affected by panics if they're not well capitalized. <laughs> yes, and, uh, that's you right. Know, if they're on, yeah. the, on the edge already, then, yeah. then the panic can be what pushes them over it. So, yeah. so balance sheet strength um, sounds yeah. like uh, yeah. the, the one thing you need to hang on to at this time. Yeah, I think for sure. Like, I mean, I w- you wouldn't want to own Virgin, I think, at the moment. Not that we yeah. ever, because Virgin looks like they're troubled. In and, trouble and, already, yeah. yeah. Well, Sydney Airport yeah. is not going to yeah. be and Qantas affected. Gonna survive. In the, yeah, yeah. Qantas, yeah. I mean, there is an assumption here that everything goes back to normal. There have been the odd case of external events that have actually changed the norm. Um, and I don't think anyone is really thinking in those terms. So, for example, um, in, in China, where there was a... Uh, milk scandal with infant milk. Um, people for years just stopped buying, and still now, ten years after the fact, stop buying Chinese-made milk and and pave the way for um, the Australian milk industry to become what it has become today. Is there a risk that um, people's travel habits or interactive habits start to change because they fear 
um, contagion. I mean, the, this is seared into, to the China, into the Chinese people's memory now. The entire economy has shut down. It's got to make a difference, James. I don't, I don't think so, because we've had this in the past, um, and uh, and people, you know, the, these numbers recover pretty quickly. But mm. uh, but like I say, I think it, that exactly that has happened for um, fire risks, because yes. I think it, it, this has really um, caused people to think of of what we what might happen in the future and whether whether these big fire events are getting more regular. And I think the realization is they probably are. Mm. All right, let's move on to a couple of specific stocks. We covered A2 Milk for the first time, and um, and I was actually, um, I didn't really know what to expect. I wasn't looking for um, a decent, well, I knew it was going to be a good business, but I didn't think it'd be an interesting one. And what I found was a super interesting business. This is a company that's done remarkably well for a long time. Perhaps we can talk about why it is that we haven't covered it in the past. Um, I think it's almost um has it 10 bag james maybe not quite but close because i've been covering it yeah <laughs> in any case it's <laughs> no done, it's i've been watching it and uh, and it has done extremely well and you know it's one of those stocks that we we haven't been on yeah but there are good reasons for that let's have a chat about why we haven't covered this in the past and why that's probably a sensible decision um, I just think it's uh, well f- from my perspective, it's it's one of those stocks that it, it just falls outside of our sweet spot. It's been highly valued for for ages, you know. For, it always looks highly valued, mm. and the reason for that, um, you know, is is that it has this great brand. I think, and it, that, that's just a very difficult thing to invest on. Some people can do it. Some people have done it. Some people have been on A2 Milk the whole way, and well done to them. But Picking picking brands that are going to do well and paying high prices for them is is uh, uh, is very difficult. I think I, I, there aren't many people who do that um, consistently. Um, I think there are easier things to spot about a company that that denote quality, and um, I don't think that A2 Milk possesses many of those. Um, but the brand sustained it a long way so far, and maybe that'll carry on. But I I find it hard to back a company just based on that yeah jg this was the well it still is the um most profitable milk business in the world even if you account for the fact that most of their revenue and profit actually comes from formula it's still the profits are off the scale and completely at odds with all other competitors is that one of the things that kept you from being interested or as james said the brand's just hard I think for me, it's not. It's not so much. It's pretty much you have to have a true north in investing. So my true north is is um, quality stocks that are going through a, a bad time or mm. sometimes cyclical turnarounds. And I think we'll talk about one of those at the end. Mm. But for me, um, and and uh, companies like A2 Milk or Afterpay or WiseTech or um, Altium, even whichever you sort of whichever those stocks you think about, they're generally high growth. They're they're high PER. They're sort of companies that are just not on my radar. So I just don't tend to look at them as all at all so i I think uh, my problem with a2 milk is that this company was making no money five years ago and now it's making 300 million dollars a year and that tells you something and to me what that tells you is that um they um yeah they've they've done very well no doubt about it but to me it's uh, it says that you've got a lot of consumers here who suddenly now think that this that this is um this is a good brand and my problem is if if you now think that if you've had all these consumers that have jumped on effectively what's a bandwagon um if if that, that can actually disappear 
disappear, I think, just as quickly. So for me, the it doesn't need to be um, – I don't think the, the thing is you need to be scientifically correct or it needs to be a fad. These things are not necessarily mutually exclusive. It could be scientifically um, correct, which I don't necessarily think it is, but it could also be a fad at the same time because you have a lot of um, consumers that think this is doing well for them and that can actually just change, I think, again in an instant if a new product comes or comes along in five or ten years. So that's what worries me is that this has not been around for a very long time and uh, I think that you know it can actually um, it can fall away just as quickly as it came. Hmm. Uh, I would agree with that um, generally, but I think once a brand has proven that it has loyal customers, once it's been um, and it's been proven in in Australia, I think they have about a third of the Australian milk market, despite costing about twice as much as the um, as as the base Australian uh, milk price. Um, you know, one, once a, band, a brand has been proven, I wonder whether it's a bit like uh, you know backing a horse mid race that's leading the field. Um, you know, it, it possibly, but 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 with a you know, but horses, you know, maybe maybe in a in a, in a jumps race, you know, where, right. where there are fences to to get over. I mean, because you know, I think I think JG's, mm. you know, I think you hit the nail on the head because to to value companies like this on PEs of thirty plus, you've really got to stretch out that time horizon for mm. decades. You know, thirty forty years, your DCF's really got to sort of you know if this carries on making money for 20 years and then stops it's that doesn't that doesn't that doesn't add up for the valuation so you know um everything looks sweet for it at the moment but but you know there could be um you know other milks um i mean there there are question marks over over dairy mm-hmm. um, in cell, you know yep. a lot of the, the the health fads right now are actually going towards oat milk and almond milk and all that so yep. this i think this is you referred to actually the chinese milk scandal the melamine scandal back in 2009 i think it was so what happens for example if suddenly um someone someone breaks into an a2 baby formula packet and puts melamine or whatever you want in there mm. and that then um it almost infects the brand and um and you, you can imagine all those Chinese consumers because actually it's Chinese consumers buying that, that mm. milk. Suddenly that perception of that brand just changes overnight. And this company, it, it's not traditionally a good idea to to buy a company which trades on a high PER, which has very, very high margins. And I mean, I, I just worry about that price premium. And you, if you want to buy A2 milk formula, um, you're paying a 30% premium to Bellamy's, you're paying a 50% premium to Nestle. And I just wonder if at some point that, that brand is going to be damaged or people are going to move on to the next thing because I mean that's that's what happens brands uh, change and evolve over time and currently A2 milk everyone wants it because it's supposedly that people perceive it as a good health product but that can change I mean the next th- there might be something else down the track there might be you know some new t- we can't perceive at the moment what can what can change in this industry mm. and that's my that's my problem is that you have something that was making f- no money uh, five years ago is making 300 million now is almost by definition a fad and uh, whether it's scientifically or proven or not so those consumers that were once buying it uh, they're buying it now in five years it might be something else and it worries me that that won't be a2 yeah I, I hear what you're saying and i don't disagree and i don't doubt that it is a fad but fads can become the norm and catch on as well every great product began as a fad and um just became the norm ingrained um i i tend to think of it more in term in probabilistic terms uh you know for, from where it is today it's a 10 billion dollar business today that's earns most of its revenue um, from milk in Australia and from formula in China. They've just entered the American market, which is 10 times larger than the Australian market. They have all their distribution sorted there. They've incurred tens of millions of dollars of bottom line costs. 
Um, so there is upside if they can actually replicate what they've done in Australia over in the US. And if they can't, then you can own, y- your loss can only go down to zero, you know, but your upside can be um, vast. Um, this could be a $50 billion business um, in 10 years' time. And I just think with those sort of um, payoff profiles, it might be worth putting a small percentage into a portfolio. These are the sort of things that can really add a bit of spice to one's portfolio if they do work. And I acknowledge that there's no certainty about it working. But, you know, I, I like to look at um, the upside and downside downside um, of, of a position because it, it, it leaves your imagination to do some of the work. And some of the great returns are a result of just thinking about what can happen and, and what if. And it does mean incurring losses and, and taking a hit from time to time, but it's those sort of investments that can really um, give a big boost to your total returns. I don't disagree, but and that's a difference in style. But, that's a difference um, in style, yeah, that's right. Uh, yes. To me, the, the probabil- probabilities here are not that buying something on a high multiple with high margins is going to do good good, good returns for you. Mm. Um, to me, it's more likely the other way. And I don't disagree that, yeah, it could do okay. And yeah, I, I can see um, quite good reasons why this stock might double in the next two years. Um, but to me, that's not a sufficient reason to buy. And I think um, the, the fact that we've, you know, we, we're, we're coming late to the party, I think is probably fair to say. And um, so, yeah, you just got to be careful you don't get, you start, start saying all the good things about a company yep. when you know, they failed in the UK, they're withdrawing from the UK, that might happen in, in, um, in the US as well. I mean, I think uh, one thing you mentioned to me was they could extend their brand into other products. And I think that's an interesting idea, but to me, that's a sell signal because You're not the, an those 2 car, though, are you? I mean, sorry, <laughs> sorry. The, the brand can't, how can that extend to other? Well, because you make, could make cho- uh, cheese or, oh, I see cheese or that sort of <laughs> yeah. thing. And, and, and my, my thing is that that is a sell. I mean, that once they start yeah. doing that, because those yeah. are going to be much lower product, much, much, lower much lower margin products than mm-hmm. infant formula. So I, I think that's that tells that if they going to do that you're actually the brand is actually quite mature mm. so it's, it's going to be interesting I'm, to see it unfold I, i'm a lot closer to what gorav was talking mm. about there i mean i have um stocks in my portfolio which um you know have that sort of upside potential and mm. i've a- always drawn drawn to that but i think that there are um you know there are ways that you can try to sort of balance up the probabilities and uh, you know some stocks uh, you know, take a Seek or an REA or something like that on similar sorts of ratings. They have uh, stronger market positions and and better uh, better better reasons to, uh, for me anyway, better reasons for me to judge that they're going to be successful. Mm. Whereas for Altium, I think the uh, sorry, and, and Altium <laughs> will be another example. A2 <laughs> Milk. Yeah. Um, I think you're uh, relying very heavily on that brand. Yes. And that's a very difficult thing to do. I think. Yeah. Um, no, I accept. So that, I think there yeah. are better. There are if you want to invest in that sort of way with that big upside, yeah. there are better stocks for doing that. Yeah. Now look, brands. Um, it's it's kind of a nebulous um, competitive advantage. But once they attach um, and they work, they can work really well. I mean, think about some of the great stocks of the last 40, 50 years, um, you know, Coca-Cola or Monster Energy. Um, and, and even Apple, yeah. Apple is, is mm. what is Apple if not an expensive brand, yeah. yeah. Um, they can actually work. They, they are, I, I know what you're saying. Intellectually, they're very hard to justify. It's, it seems notionally easy to compete with them, and you never know how long they're going to last. 
But it's when a lot, they work, a lot of all they work that is big. hindsight, you see, as well. It is, isn't the it? Brand, yeah. The, brand, the <laughs> successful brands, they always seem obvious. In, they in, do, don't with they? The benefit Very true. Well, how could Coca-Cola ever work, really? Yeah. It's, a, it's a, yeah. an appalling product yeah. at a silly price. There's, you can, there's heaps of competitors, and yet it Charlie does. Charlie Munger um, wrote a famous essay about that, actually. Did he? Right, he? Right, yeah, okay. Well, basically saying, in yeah. fact, exactly what you said, which mm. is that the outcome potential for Coca-Cola, if mm. it was successful, um, was was massive. There you go. I'm taking that. I got Charlie Munger on my side. You guys both lose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so um, look, it's just an example of a stock that we've been talking about internally. I think you'll see a bit more of this kind of research um, on the site where there's, there's stocks that we're going to write about, and they're often ideas labs that we don't agree on. They don't actually go through as buy recommendations, but we put them forward for your consideration because they're interesting and because they raise um, debates like the one we've been having. So we'll park that one there. Um, there will be other stocks like that, and JG will have another fight about <laughs> another stock another day. <laughs> now, we've all got our particular investing niches. JG, if we looked at some of your recent recommendations, you might think your niche was crappy quality companies on very low returns, really high multiples, <laughs> and awful balance sheets. <laughs> you look at Autosports, which is, uh, I think, the last thing you've upgraded. All those characteristics are present in Autosports, and yet it's owned a place on our buy list. Um, we tried to buy it for the portfolios but couldn't get liquidity through. Um, and it got, I think, universally um, put through the, the dragon's den. I mean, explain to us how a company that has all those um, black marks against its name actually gets high praise from the team. Sure. Um, Autosports is a luxury car dealer and as you sort of alluded to, they generally operate on fairly low margins and as a general rule, we steer away from retailers that operate on low margins mm -hmm. and we also steer away from companies that have high debt. Now, I think the thing about um, about Autosports and car dealers in general, in general, is that these, um, while they make low margins, they're they're effectively these dealers are effectively a distributors for the manufacturers who don't want to get into the business of um, of actually selling the car to the end customer unless they're Tesla, um, and so. Um, they so they don't really allow their dealers to earn much in the way of margins, but nor do they actually allow their dealers to ever go bankrupt because that would be bad for the band, brands and, and so on. They, they want their dealers to actually make some money. So um, so they tend to control what, what effectively all that means is that you tend to get some fairly low margins on on the actual sale of these vehicles, but they don't move around too much. You know, the sort of net net profit before tax margin might be sort of two and a half, three three percent, but even in downturns, they don't tend to get crunched that much. And and they, but they do tend to produce sort of reasonable cash flow, um, and that's and as as I'm sure we all know, we've all met or, or know a fairly wealthy car dealers. So so we know that this this business can be a good one because people do make money out of it. And that, was, that yeah. was actually the the thing that struck me most when looking at this. When going through the accounts, I could not um, square that circle. I, the the accounts looked horrendous, and I knew um, where my parents live. There's two car dealers who live there, and they live on the biggest house on the streets. I yes. know <laughs> that these guys are super wealthy, and I just couldn't, I couldn't get those two together. Yes. And um, yeah, so. Uh, Sometimes uh, those anecdotal things—they're the clues. That's right, and, and I mean, it, probably if I hadn't have actually read what Buffett said, because Buffett bought car dealers new car, right. U, sorry, US back in 2014, it hasn't right. bought any since, which is interesting. I don't know why, mm. but so he, he actually says these businesses are fairly—they're high turnover, so they're a bit like supermarkets in a way. They're yeah. high turnover but low margin, and because you you can generally um, make fairly good returns on those sort of businesses, and so he sort of recognised that, and so I think that's been a bit of part of my evolution in why these are better businesses 
perhaps is what I originally thought. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's sort of um, and and this this particular one, given where it is in the cycle, and also what happened in 2019, um, it just seemed like it seemed to be a reasonably cheap business. It's also a fragmented industry, so you're sort of getting this situation where these uh, car dealers are able to buy um, other smaller smaller operators, and um, and I think and grow and grow their share of the industry over time. So it all adds up to not not the fantastic best best business in the world, but one that's reasonable, and I think you know with a bit a little bit of cyclical upturn and a few acquisitions mm. I think would do quite well over the next five years. What amazed me was the lack of capital actually tied up into the business because I would have expected that a large car dealership with lots of inventory on, on hand, they need machinery for servicing. It's pretty labour-intensive and land-intensive. I just thought there'd be a lot of capital tied up and that's not the case at all. The actual returns on capital are quite good. Can you just explain how that's the case? Yeah, so um, some some of the car dealers, so like AP Eagles, for example, own own fair, fair amount of property. Um, Autosports doesn't. Um, they um, This is one of our concerns, is that the um, original owners of the business, um, the pageant family, own the, the actual properties. Um, so they, they don't have much property tied up in the business. Uh, but yeah, you're right. They don't have much um, much property or much uh, inventory. So what, what the uh, the difference with, um, with uh, the inventory is that it's all financed by what's called bailment or floor plan finance. So you have this facility where the car dealers effectively provide um, rates at very low rates of interest to the dealers to um, to uh, to have that inventory on their floor. And so once that car is is uh, sold, um, the the um, the loan gets repaid on that individual car, and it's not it's not recourse to the actual dealer's business. So it just it just um, secured over the car. So it's so any debt on the on the balance sheet. And what, when you look at these balance sheets, they look a bit scary. Mm. But pretty much the vast majority of the debt is related to this floor plan finance, which is really just an inventory financing mechanism. Yes. So yeah, so that that's um, that's the sort of thing you've got to take into account. There doesn't mean they can't um, struggle in times of um, in times of where interest rates are um, rising, or you get um, during the GFC when finance was hard to get. Um, you had situations where people thought that these these dealers might not be able to get financing for their vehicles, but that hasn't really happened so far so so we, th- we think that it's a it's actually a, a sensible uh, industry specific way of financing the vehicles the other thing was that was that was surprising um, for many I think was the proportion of revenue and even higher proportion of profit that comes from not from selling the cars but just from maintaining them that, that back-end revenue was much higher than I thought and I think that's quite specific to autosports is that correct yeah, they seem to have been done quite well, been doing quite well with what's called the back end, and so that's the the servicing, the parts, um, the stuff that takes place after the car is sold. Um, used car vehicles, I seem to be doing okay with those as well, because people sometimes trade down from um, from uh, new cars to used cars during a downturn, which has been happening. But yeah, you're right. Um, so what's been happening is they've been making a lot more money from that servicing side, and certainly for a luxury vehicle, um, that's um, where, where you lock in that customer from the very beginning. You yeah. sell them the vehicle, but then you also then get them to come back and and um, provide and provide the servicing usually which is at much much higher margins that's effectively how these dealers make their money on the um, on the on the aftermarket and, yeah. you, and you're more likely to get right. um, that mm. business that sort of business on premium models aren't yes. you because if you're buying a, a sort of cheap Toyota you're not going to feel that you have to get it um, serviced by a Toyota perhaps but if you're getting a fancy Whatever, um, yeah, Audi or something, you probably do. <laughs> I was, was, was going to mention. I was going to mention the cars that both of you fellows drive. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've got, I, I run the gamut, well, I run the gamut from an okay car to a terrible car. I think <laughs> yeah, that's I true. Know, eh? I don't, I don't have anything up at the top, but I, I, I'm getting a bit. 
Uh, I, I've fallen out of love with the car industry. In yeah, a, yes. Well, I don't think I was ever in love with it. But but in terms of, I mean, I've been in and out of car sales over the years, and I, I'm beginning to, and iCar Asia is another, I'm beginning to be less, um, I just wonder what's happening with that industry. It's mm. an interesting thing. I've, a couple of years ago, I was looking uh, online for a new car, mm. uh, looking at car sales, seeing what was an, on offer uh, used, and comparing that to what I could buy brand new and if if you have a fixed uh, amount in mind and you compare what you can get for a second hand car what you can get for a new car seemed to me that the new car won hands down because of all the features that are getting added every year it's just the the speed with which um, uh, technology is being introduced to cars and i think that makes it very hard for manufacturers it makes it probably a much higher fixed cost industry you've got to really tool up your plants to get these changes made and then you've got to you're really incentivized to pump out a lot of cars at whatever kind of volume you can get and that's pretty bad for the for um, used car sales it's pretty bad for car manufacturers but i wonder actually just listening to what you were saying there is it probably quite good for dealerships maybe <laughs> because you need a dealership it gets people into those yeah. dealerships and and needs you, you need someone who can advise you uh, yeah. or at least tell you about the um uh, you know the technology and 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 all that that's, that's going right. on. New and exciting is good for retailers. Mm. And that's what these businesses mm. are. They're retailers, and yeah. So and if they can have new features, or they can, um, all the cars are actually getting more complex, which they are until EVs take over. Um, they the, if these cars are getting more complex, that's actually good for the dealers and the servicing they need to do on, on them afterwards. So you bring up one of two um, big risks with this business. The, the first, I think, is um, there's been a huge decline in car sales. I think it's now, James, correct me, 23, 24 months of continuous yeah, decline. 21, 22 months, that's right. That's a, that's a really long and sustained fall. In America, the car stats are quite similar. Young people are getting their driver's licenses much later. There's much more leasing and car sharing going on. Uh, and I just wonder whether this isn't a structural change. I can't imagine myself. I'm a car guy, and I just the thought of not owning a car is just hideous to me. But a lot of people aren't doing it. Um, are you worried about that, first of all? And then second of all, even if people do buy cars, every maker is, is promising EVs and the lack of complexity is surely a cut to revenues at the back end. How does that factor in? The first issue I'm not particularly worried about because there's, there's always been people who've never or not bought cars until quite late. I didn't buy my car, first car till I was 35 and that was that was <laughs> and so there's, there's, uh, that's pretty rare but people who are... Did your um, first car coincide with your first dog? Um it was probably close, and yeah, and then yeah. That, that's I think one of the issues that we talked about outside is that mm. one, once you, you once you get a dog, once you have aged parents, once you ha once you need to yeah, that, 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 <laughs> you know, kids exactly, yeah. um, you know, once you have that, you tend to find a car is difficult to do without, you mm. know, unless you so and, and 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 yeah, there's certainly been these trends towards people living in the inner city, and I live in the inner city, and there's go get cars everywhere and so on, um, but you know, there's there's a certain nice thing about having a car, and so I think in some sense that some of these things have just been delayed, and the and and right. Gen Z and so on and Gen, Gen Y and so on will we'll start buying cars. Okay. Um, and the the second issue, the EVs, I am more worried about. And I, I mean, what I remember puts on our on one of the comments. This is why I love the comments is because um, she said, look, oh, oh, she's she's um, seen all, all the she's associated with a lot of doctors, and she's seen all, all the doctors buying Teslas. Teslas yeah. And this is why I'm starting to think about this a bit more because I'm thinking, well, actually, yeah, Tesla's share price has been rocketing, and so I think in so, and all, all the car manufacturers, non non Tesla manufacturers, are sitting there scared because they don't want to do anything. Um, so there is this 
this. I think there is the risk that Tesla does actually take a lot more of, of these um, of this share and and b becomes a default manufacturer of electric vehicles. So that has been worrying me a bit. But I, I still think it's some time off. And mm -hmm. so I, I I do get James's point about yeah, you've got to be careful. You know when you when you're doing your DCF. You know if if you're not if if in ten or fifteen years you 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 your um, internal combustion engine vehicle cars, uh, internal combustion engine cars are, are falling away. That's that's bad. Um, and so if and, and EVs, are, 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 if they are coming up, which we we know they are, because governments are starting to mandate them, um, then ma car manufacturers around the world are going to need to to do them, and that is going to affect um, the back end revenue that we talked about earlier. Mm. Because they, these these um, people who drive Tesla say, look, I, the only thing I need to do is put um, windscreen washer fluid in my car, and I yeah. don't, don't need to service them. So that that is an issue and it does worry me i just think it's a bit of a time away um and yeah i'm not it's clearly in my mind um i just think we have time to think about it but it's obviously in the back of my mind but don't you doesn't that just change the makeup of revenue won't um the car manufacturer just increase the margin to make up for the lack well, of the back end you see that's what that's, i was yeah. just thinking exactly that but mm. then you know if they're if these cars are being sold by tesla to what extent do tesla use dealers yes that's right i mean okay. tesla yeah. have, they just have their store on market margin place and yeah. they you know they they sell their vehicles in a completely different yeah. way so look if we're in an ev world where you've got these big brands selling selling cars you know with with um you know flagship stores in in westfield or whatever mm. um that's not going to be helpful to to car dealers yeah. if, you know so i mean and, and is that the world we're going to be in in 20 30 years time we'll be migrating we'll, we'll, we'll be moving towards it won't we and i suppose yeah. it's a question of how long how quickly that happens but um uh, and then it comes down to a question of valuation. But, uh, it, you know, there's the comment that Charlie Munger made that, uh, you know, it's um, businesses in decline. It's hard to pay a low enough price mm -hmm. for because you, you you forget how much of the valuation is uh, dependent on that on mm -hmm. that sort of long tail um, into the future. Well, you don't realize until you actually do one of those DCFs. That's the exercise yeah. that Greg made us do. Yeah. And that's yeah. when I first realized. I yeah. didn't realize that either. Yeah. So, James... Um, I would think a lot of this is actually in the price already. This is this is actually one of the. Uh, it's statistically quite cheap, which is unusual in this market. Um, what's the price range? I think we've downgraded it now, have we? Yeah, it's uh, just sitting above one hundred and sixty. Okay. And I mean, I, I I wouldn't be recommending it if I didn't think we could get some fairly good returns out of it over the next five years. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I just don't. Again, you don't want to push these things for for. The, the, it's not the not the biggest business in the world. It's not the least risky business in the world. So you don't want to pay up for it. Um, but yeah, I, I think you know th there's there's some specific things about this company in particular that are gonna, it's going to do better this year um, and and certainly next year um, and its geographic location that I think it's a, it's a good buy now or and around now. I assume you've got um, something on AP Eagers at some stage. Yes, coming up? that's been I've been spending a fair bit of time on AP Eagers. That's coming up. I'm concerned that the the result they're about to report at the end of this month is going to be a shocker, yeah. and um, so I'm just want I want to see that. Sure. Um, but yeah, that's certainly. Uh, what, we're looking at that quite closely. Terrific. Okay. Well, it's just like old times, the three of us in a room talking for an hour right. when we should have been only talking half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. All right, James and James, thanks very much for joining me. Cheers. Thanks, Laura. For everyone else, thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.